what is happening, party people, and how are you on this magical, magical day? I trust you are safe, you are happy, you are healthy. Uh, you know, we just, man, this is, uh, it's been quite a journey here, and the uh, the COVID-19 has, has obviously closed a lot of doors for people, and it's, it's opened some in different ways, and I hope that uh, you're taking the time to reconnect with friends, family, and reconnect with yourself. And also, I just want to thank you for, during this time, uh, for absorbing this content and listening. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, you know, it's in these times, we're, uh, we're happy to put out this uh, kind of content. And oddly enough, a dream came true for us, folks. So, you know, when we started this podcast, it was all about talking over movies. And one thought that I had was, wouldn't it be cool if I could see a movie before anybody else did? And then talk with the actor or the writer or the director or the producer or whomever it may be. Well, we got that chance. So, folks, I got the honor, the privilege, the pleasure, whatever you want to call it. I was so blessed that I was able to talk with Kier, um, Kestrin. Now, Kestrin, she is the writer, the director, lead actress in Mother's Little Helpers, which is coming out May 5th. This movie is a roller coaster emotional ride. It is absolutely fantastic. I mean, you know, um, Kestrin Pantera is, uh, she's a force. She is absolutely amazing. Uh, you would not believe what she was able to accomplish in this movie. It is fantastic. It brings out so much emotion. It, you are, you think you're bought in on a story that you think you know the ending to, but guess what? You don't. The curveballs that come, the insights that come, what it makes you dissect for yourself, it's absolutely amazing. Listening to this podcast is not going to take one ounce away from this movie. So folks, take some time, enjoy this film, uh, enjoy this conversation, enjoy this insight and what's going on. Don't forget to give some love to our friends out there at Dive Bar Austin and also Colorblind Design. They are absolutely amazing people uh, who are you know, uh, pushing through like we are, but go ahead, you know, colorblind.design on Instagram and dive Austin on Instagram for dive bar Austin. Give them some love folks. And if you get a chance to, uh, if you're in Austin to swing by and say hi to the dive crew, uh, please do. They are doing to goes. And if you, uh, are in the need of an awesome gift, check out colorblind.design on Instagram and check out what Scott and his team are putting out there. So thank you all very much. To the cast, the crew, and everyone behind uh, Mother's Little Helpers, thank you very much for setting this up so we can make this magic happen. This movie is coming out May 5th. You're going to get a sneak peek at uh, my thoughts on it, my emotion around it, and everything else. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did, and uh, thank you all for listening. Have an absolutely magical day. Do it at once. 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 Do it at
And we're live. So first of all, oh, yes, cocktails. Uh, what are you drinking? So uh, my quarantine beverage has been a, a Malbec uh, from Ralph's, um, ralphs.com. Yep. And uh, I've been drinking it out of my wedding uh, champagne glass with a little white cat um, to indicate that it's mine. Like Man. anyone was gonna fucking mistake it for anyone else's. <laughs> your lips are on it it's yours now yeah <laughs> i am uh, doing a stash ipa from the Great. wonderful people at independence brewing in austin texas amazing drinking local having a little fun where in austin whereabouts roughly uh south south side of austin oh oh i will say then uh not to just like get right into it but yeah. uh the film, the, the, the character that this film was based off of was a real person who was my father-in-law, who was, in fact, a drug dealer backstage at the Continental Club on South Congress. Really? So before, yeah. let's, before we jump right into this, let's so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> Kestrin Pantera? Did I say that right? Kestrin Pantera? Yeah. yeah. So cool. Yes. You, um, we got introduced on Facebook. You make movies. You are... Uh, writer, director, producer, everything, all of the above? Yeah, I, f I feel like I, I wear enough hats that I try to limit it to writer, director, just to like make it seem like I have a big team that helps me with stuff, which I have an amazing team, but um, yeah, writer, director, yeah. You were gonna do a movie for, at South by Southwest. As we got on here, we were talking about the pandemic around us that is shut down a lot more than South by, uh, you know, kind of shut down planet Earth. And, you know, it's, it's interesting times. And so, like uh, so many films, yours, which was going to premiere and probably run around in some theaters, uh, is now pivoted to moving to digital platforms. And yeah. So we were, we were actually lucky enough that we did get to play at South by Southwest in 2019. And then we sold it to Gravitas. And then we put together this amazing theatrical, like, partnership with Alamo Draft House. We were going to do it in LA and New York and like select cities nationwide um, starting uh, May 1st. And then um, the writing was on the wall. We were like, that's super not going to happen. So we pivoted the whole release to uh, on demand everywhere and iTunes on May 5th. So we kind of got actually the best of both worlds. We're, we're kind of dicks like that. I feel bad. Like the, the, what happened with South by Southwest was so heartbreaking and it was so weird because it was like the beginning of an avalanche of just the devastation of the economy and the entertainment industry and like independent cinema um but fortunately I, those folks did get that amazon prime um online festival release so i feel like they're doing a really good job making up for it as much as they can and we will also be accidentally overlapping in that may 5th um window when there's window? other yeah yeah well, you, you sent me the movie. Uh, it's, it's always interesting, right? You get introduced through someone who's, who's you know, I'm like, hey, my, my friend made a movie. And I'm like, okay. Like, yeah, you should. I'm sure. Like, Is your great. friend in a band? And, be, and you just, you, I mean, <laughs> there are so many movies that come out. And then there are so many movies that I'm sure as, you know, and now that I've watched, I'll, I'll say this, with, you know, as, as talented as you are, that you're like, how did that person get money? And my budget could have probably 
And so when someone just goes, hey, this is a good movie, you're, you know, it's something you haven't heard of, your instant gut reaction if you're a movie nut like me is to pause and be like, oh yeah, sure, well, let's check it out, let's talk. I have been blessed to meet in, in, in previous lives with some wonderful and amazing people. And uh, I'm telling you, I've seen really cool projects, unbeknownst to me that they were gonna be cool projects. And this is one of those things where I was flabbergasted. And my only concern was, is that this call was gonna turn into like an hour and a half long therapy session and I would be crying halfway through. <laughs> it had such, awesome. such emotional impact. And for anyone that just wants to, and in a, in a different way, so this is, correct me if it's an unfair comparison, but the, the equitable tension that I felt in watching the actor and actresses go through, and then what I felt was like when I watched uh, the, um, the Adam Sandler jeweler film. Ooh! I mean, it's that intense, and but you feel it both ways. Just like in that, you just feel it vibing back and forth. Just like this, God, just. I mean, I was tense, but it wasn't a bad thing because it wasn't a. I want to get away from this. It's, I want to finish this. I I need to. I, I'm ravaging this. It, 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 epically, I mean, it, it was so intense. Well, could you just label this a thriller? <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the best compliment that anyone can give a filmmaker, just like being emotionally invested in the story and actually viscerally feeling it is kind of the best thing that you can ever hear. So thank you for saying that. And I'm glad that you like were able to connect with the material. It's like, a, you know, it's, it's, an, it's an intense topic. Can you hear that or is that just me? A little ding? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Sorry. I don't it's know all good. No, don't worry about it. Just you, you're popular. It's fine. I'm just, I don't know how to turn it off is the only problem. It's, it's all good. Like, it is all good. We, uh, we usually record this uh, podcast in a bar. Oh, really? Yeah, in Austin, a place called Dive Bar and Lounge. And so we cruise in, we call him the producer. Producer Matt's behind the bar and you just- Awesome. And you have, we have a bartender and a server and whatever we want to drink, we raise our hand. And so the people are hearing drinks getting made, but it's- Okay, great. Us. <laughs> Okay, that's great. Dr. Wedding Chalice and had a Manhattan out of it. Matt wouldn't have cared. They're like, would you like me to preview the movie for anyone? Okay, yeah. beautiful. They're shaking, there's shakers, there's a, oh, yeah, martinis yeah. being poured. Okay, someone, great. Someone hears a ting and they're just like, oh, yeah, production value's gone up. What are they, they put Matt in a soundproof bar? <laughs> oh, great, okay, yeah. great. You know, my favorite, um, I played at a couple bars. I used to tour in rock bands when I was in my 20s and I used to play, I played at the Continental Club and I played at the Cactus Cafe and we always like ended up like setting up shop like with our like kind of in-law outlaw family member on South First Street near the South First Torchy's Tacos, like walking oh, yeah. distance from there. Sure. So yeah, when you say a bar, I'm like, which bar? <laughs> which bartender? Was it Cousin Mark? <laughs> I haven't, no, it's uh, there are some, yeah, there are some great bars and places to uh, run around in downtown Austin, that's for sure. And they yeah. do, you know, the cool thing is, is, you know, I think to your point to uh, the music and which, which one and which bartenders, because those walls and those people, man, they hold history. They don't burn through people. It's not like a big city where yeah. on Tuesday it's Johnny and then what happened to Johnny? Oh, you know, we ran off and did this. Same like LA, like better 
you like a bartender, you're probably going to travel from bar to bar with them because they're not generally at a place too long. Yeah. Yeah, there are some like phenomenal, like it's, it's, I feel like in Los Angeles, you kind of want, if you really love a bartender enough, you want them to leave because odds are they're a really great improv comedian and you're like, buddy, just like go get a show. You're so fucking awesome and funny and smart. Like, what are you doing here? But then it's also great when they are there too, because everybody, it's like cheers, right? Yeah. No, that's very, very true. It's a, uh, it's a crazy thing. Uh, real quick, I'm going to, um, I forgot to do this. I'm just going to hit play on this. There's no volume in the background. So Should I hit play on mine too? Sure. Yeah. Let me see here. Oh, starts with a P. Did you yeah. hear a P? I, I, I'm at the, um, I'm at the, yeah. I'm at the 11, pregnancy 12 test. seconds. Okay. I'm at nine, 10. I think we're a three second lag. So there we are. All right. I'm back are. on the Zoom. All right, back on the Zoom. Here Split we go. Split screen. There's nothing like watching yourself on a toilet. <laughs> during an interview <laughs> really <laughs> you're like so uh this is my scene it's pretty exciting yeah oh um, and then hunky beautiful david gentoli i mean he is he's a handsome devil not gonna lie yeah. um he was he was cast by my husband who i made act in my first movie let's ruin it with babies this movie's called mother's little helpers i don't know if we like mentioned yeah, then i'll that, do a read but... i'll do a read up front everyone oh great know. yeah 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 cool <laughs> So I, um, my, my husband is really funny and he really doesn't like acting and I <laughs> made him do it cause he's really good at it, but he's a real diva for someone who like has gotten to star in a movie. He was like, I'm only going to do one take. And I, uh, he'll be like, I'm going to do two takes and I'm not going to say the same thing both times. And you're just going to have to deal with it. Like he went straight from zero to diva, like on the first day. Really? Um, yeah. And he, and then he was like, I'm not going to act in this movie please, please hire David Gentoli to be your husband. And I was like, okay, Dave. You're like, all righty. Um, I guess. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I mean, I just, I, John, my husband and Dave, like we've all known each other for a really, really long time. Dave oh, and that's I were cool. in an acting class when we, he was like, I was in the class of like the first people that he met when he first came to Los Angeles. So I've known him forever. So Jonathan was like, I choose him to be my substitute. He, he's great. I mean, he's great in a lot of stuff, but he was exceptionally well in this film, especially the, he has this unique disdain while still caring when he, <laughs> when he's talking about your extended family, there is this beautiful, but very like privileged disdain seems like that he can give while still being like, I really do care. But I mean, if they all were in a bus accident right now, <laughs> I'd be okay. <laughs> I think he's like, uh, yeah, I see it as like an extreme empathy where he's like, I know what these people do to you and I don't want to see it happen. Please, <laughs> please don't. Please don't. Did you, um, when you were uh, growing up, uh, did you have uh, friends who had families that were kind of uh, messed up or crazy or broken, if you will? You know, I had a few. Um, I mean, this was so much more just about, um, I mean, my husband's, it's about my in-laws, but I love my in-laws very much and they're awesome. And like my mother-in-law is phenomenal and all the siblings are really, really close. 
And it was because we went through the shared experience of going home to help their dad die. And I was pregnant and was like, you guys, and everyone was so kind of traumatized by like having to go home and like, as I say, like do right by a parent who always did them wrong. Like no one actually really wanted to go at first, but when you knew them well enough, you get why, where you're like, this person's super, though very funny and super cool and someone you can definitely hang out backstage with at a bar. It's like, I always imagine, I don't know, like I'm sure like Willie Nelson is actually like a great, like awesome dad, but he's probably a super way awesomer hang, like <laughs> backstage. And I just, in, in that like relationship with my father-in-law was like, everyone was like, I love him. He's so awesome. And there were so many flaws that like your friends who party and like do drugs with them don't know about. But if you're his child, it's like, much more complicated yeah that's a uh, that's a hard swing i mean the reason i asked the question is because you know about other friends and and or or you know growing up is i think that adds a connection and also a different layer to understand what makes a story that should be told or more importantly how it should be told versus what makes a story that um that's more of a reflection, if you will. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I think that also, like, I had a really different upbringing. Like, I come from a military family. Okay. Super by the book, like, really tough discipline. Um, and so, I've, but I was always, like, drawn to, like, partying and being a rascal. And, like, I was, like, driving around in cars, getting stoned in high schools and raising hell. Which I like, what was I rebelling against? There really wasn't, I mean, it was just authoritarian, like. You watched Footloose, you were like. God, I watched Footloose 17 times, so I get it. Um, but, you know, like, I think also it's like a fascination. Like you always think like, God, I really want a cool mom. It would be so awesome to have a really fucking cool mom. And then, you know, you live through some things and you're like, ah, maybe I'll just, you know what? I will take a, a grumpy bitch. <laughs> I will take a grumpy bitch who shows up on time and like, you know, does what she said she's going to do, even if it's maybe not like the most friendly, <laughs> gentle worded, you know, statement. It's consistent at least. So I feel lucky enough that I had that. But. That's interesting. Yeah, I've got a, uh, like a five foot tall little Irish mom, quite a, quite a firecracker old Brenda. Mm -hmm. I mean, we grew up, uh, she's a very religious person. I, I jokingly say she's a little right of the Sheriff of Nottingham. Ah. Uh, <laughs> yes. She's Pentecostal with the tambourine, not ever in rhythm. Just yeah, cruising. and the snakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah the whole thing. And uh, wow. so, uh, you know, if, if anything was wrong, well, it was Satan. And so if anything was right, it was God. And my, my mom was the uncool mom of all the Pentecostal Christian moms. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, that's a lot. Like, that, that alone is, like, fascinating. Like, I was just talking to my husband tonight about, we were, we were talking about homeschool, right? Like, I have a four-year-old mm -hmm. and a seven-year-old, and we've just, just been like, Jesus, man. Like, we were, I was Mary Poppins at the beginning, and then slowly descended into Miss Hannigan. And right now, I'm just like, fuck it. And I was like, I was like, is this COVID thing kind of amazing? Cause it's de-escalating the parenting arms race. Like no one can take their kid to violin class. Like I don't need to feel bad that we're not going to violin class. Cause no one is going to violin class. And it kind of sure. like turns it down a notch as far as 
you know, I mean, these are just like tiny, tiny little kids, but I'm already freaking out about if they're generating enough extracurricular activities to look good on a fucking resume because they have to compete against like, you know, X, Y, Z person in the same class who's doing all these extracurricular activities. And I like, I feel like a sense of calm and joy. And it feels like the eighties to me a little bit right now of like, I don't know, like a free fall, like a parenting free fall in a way that actually like, I feel like I can see myself smoking a Marlboro light and drinking a tab cola and like wondering where the kids are. It's great. Just be like, oh, um, they, they got bikes and uh, probably about five. And you're, you know, husband's just like exactly what I thought perfect and for dinner I mean they'll get they're gonna have a piece of bread maybe some yeah bread. like uh, a like a <laughs> yeah I mean I, I told my daughter she's like so what did you have for a snack I said Harper we were so poor honey that we'd buy ramen noodles but my mom wouldn't cook them she thought they were a brick that you ate because they already said they were fried noodles and she said see they're fried I didn't know the You're like, <laughs> until I got yeah. to college. Wow. <laughs> I thought you ate like a shitty energy bar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, the, so like, I, th I feel like there's an intensity of like, of like longing to know what it's like to have that like backstage rock and roll cool parent. And, you know, you think we all think that we're fucked up because our parents are too strict or our parents are so not cool and then you get someone who's cool and you're just like oh. yeah it's a uh you meet those people you meet their parents and then uh there's usually a pause i think there's a pause for all of us and i think you know i think there's a it's interesting uh, and you you bring it up in the uh in the bio uh piece you know you're talking about the boomer generation and the greatest you know and i was talking to a buddy of mine and we're like man it's the worst they're the worst generation those boomers <laughs> oh yes. yeah well this and, is what it was okay yeah because yeah. i feel like in like we're right now we're dealing with like millennials gen x and boomers but this is yeah. why i started rambling just now on that kid rant yeah that i was talking to my husband about how what a joy i felt about the de-escalation of the parenting arms race happening mm -hmm. right now and and he and I was like, but when it starts, are we just going to go straight back into it? And he was like, look at like you came from a military family and wanted to do drugs, and that's why you did drugs. And I came from the drug family and didn't do drugs because I didn't want to be around. But like another sibling was into it, and another sibling wasn't into it. And he was like, think about everyone who you're close to that you really love in your day to day life, the people who really get you. And what is the one thing that everyone has in common from their childhood? Nothing absolutely fucking nothing it really doesn't matter like that much who you are or what you do and like the kids are just going to be what they are so like try not to worry so much and like don't obsess over the arms race of parenting if it's the, the arms race is in your mind apparently. yeah it is <laughs> you know uh what was also in my mind uh, because we're on this zoom call there is a very predict you know it's weird it's like this was written last month because there's a zoom call in your movie Yes, we're on a Zoom call, watching a Zoom call in my and film right now. sister that can't hang up, I'm just, I'm, I'm yelling, shut the laptop. Just shut the laptop. And I, I mean, you know, within where that's what, that's 11 minutes in, you know, just to let people know. Uh, well, no, 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 don't cancel that, that fingers. Uh, just to let people know, 11 minutes in, and I'm emotionally invested in the film so 
FYI, as people, when you go out to watch this movie, uh, just recognize that because it's it's interesting. And a place like an Alamo Draft House is quite honestly the perfect place. You know, uh, if you're going to go out to a theater and watch this, to watch this, if you're going to watch it at home, bottle of red, nice couple of nice IPAs, treat yourself right. <laughs> yeah. It's a drink and watch. It's it's definitely a drink and watch, but uh, it's also for the sober. It's also for the clean and sober. We don't yeah. we don't discriminate. Oh, we, no. we, we we get all sides. Um, but uh, yeah, just uh, the opportunity to uh, like watch it while I'm watching myself, and then be on a Zoom call while we're talking about a Zoom call that happened in the movie, and then also the entire world is living one shitty nightmare of a Zoom call. Um, is a real mind fuck and and yeah and like shout out to the fucking alamo draft house man i hope that they make their way through this i'm so grateful for everything that they gave to mother's little helpers like our first like screening was in the alamo draft house at the south lamar and it was like a dream come true and i wanted to go to south by so badly because uh, my the father-in-law who this this movie was based off of had a wristband to south by southwest year one and there was no like Oh, I hope we get into Sundance, or I hope we go to Cannes. We, I, I was just like, all I want, I need, like this was a life thing, was to go to South by and getting that like opportunity was such, like a, it was like a mir- miraculous dream. Like I love Janet Pearson and Claudette and Jared and all those folks, and you know, even though we don't get to play it at the Draft House in the theaters, I'm excited that we get to like give it, give it up. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's. I mean, I think it's also it's a very timely film. For uh, for doing that, you know, um, one, it's very generous of you to uh, to put it out. But two, like I said, I think it's very timely in the idea of living together and but living together in in trauma that you know is going to, you know, it's there and it's not escapable and. Um, coping mechanisms right or wrong right they're uh they're being exercised in as many different ways as possible i mean my daughter she sends herself to her room <laughs> she's like wow no um right to my room i don't want to have this conversation six wow out you know before it was do i need to send you to your room now she gets a little hairy. She's like, no, nah, I'm out. It's cool. Don't worry about it. <laughs> She's like, I get that. I get that. That was, I, I crossed the line. All right. I, you know, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'll be, Wait. I'll see you in five. Cheese stick? Okay. No. Okay. No, 100% in my room. Yeah. Might be the rest yeah. of the night. Got my cheese stick now. <laughs> yeah. Um, my kids uh, declared me the principal of our homeschool and then told me that Sid, an imaginary child in their class, um, was having a hard time and needed to be talked to because he was shouting at my son. And so my daughter let me know that Sid needed to have a conversation with the principal. And I I had a conversation with an imaginary child named Sid as the principal um, explaining that, um, you know, we can't like hit other people. We need to use our words to express our emotions. Like, how do you feel now, Sid? And my daughter was like, he said that he really wanted the toy, but uh, you know, my brother wouldn't give it to him. And I was like, okay, well, how do we deal with that? And she was like, well, he says that he can use his words instead of hitting. And I was like, okay. And she's like, he says that he's sorry. Sid says he's sorry. And I was like, okay, great. Tell Sid he is free to it's go. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sorry, I gotta get the fuck out. 
Sid. Fuck you, Sid. Sid, have you heard of a thing Would called a bully? That'd be amazing if I just fucking decapitated Sid. Like, <laughs> words, Sid. No. Oh my god, I just scared my cat. I'm opening a closet. There's a light in my closet that never goes out. Uh, it just we just bought this house and there's no switch. But my husband covered. I'm gonna show you. My husband covered the like ceiling light in my room and i'm just like shrouded in darkness and i don't know how to turn on the light in my house right now <laughs> i feel like the big sister who doesn't know how to hang up a zoom conversation just being like, emasculated like in yeah person it's the, <sighs> listen i get it i don't know how to do much at all and i'm i'm from montana my wife's like can't you just like just build us a house and i was like mm, mm. Mm. Did you mean tell a funny joke or inappropriate joke at a wedding? No, I can do that. Yep. No, I can embarrass you in front of your whole family. Her yeah. family is in Kentucky. Mm. They're very nice people, and they've been very nice to me. Uh, some are uh, more religious than um, my mom. Wow. And I wanted to make a Bible joke because I wanted to fit in. So in front of the family, I was like, do you know who the most flexible man in the Bible was? Mm said, no. I said, it was Jonas. He tied his ass to a tree and he walked three miles. <laughs> and they just looked and went, no. Mm -mm. Not today, not, buddy. You don't make fun of the Bible Too like that. soon. And they just got, everyone got it from the table and left. <laughs> wow. Bless their hearts. That's what you say in that situation. Uh, there, there was one time this guy comes in. Uh, he's, he's dating one of my wife's mother's sisters. So it's like an uncle type. Yeah. But he's like, they're dating. So yeah. he comes in. He goes, hey, buddy, don't know you. I'm like, oh, Jason, nice to meet you. Whew, you mind if I take my watch off? I like to come into a home and take my shoes and my watch off. I was like, I'd take that watch off, champ. Put it right here, make sure no one takes my watch. I'm like, not a lot of people take their watch off. And <laughs> shoes, pretty safe. Yeah, yeah. And he's hanging out there, he goes, Phew. and he's my wife standing there and they're chatting a little bit about the family. And he's just, everyone's like, just going, ah. I go, are you okay? He goes, tell me he's taking his pants off. Please tell well, me his pants he, come um, off right First of all, he takes his belt off. <laughs> No! Yeah, 100%. And then he looks at me and he goes, you know, I'm more comfortable, thank you. He goes, but you know, you look like a man who has flown in an aeroplane. Is that true? I'm like, I, I have. Hmm. Well, and by the way, I have not told him where I live. He goes, well, if I ever get the courage and the comfort to get into an aeroplane, first place I'm coming, see you to tell you about it pulls up his shirt out of his pants belts in hand watches off shirts up it's getting comfortable conversations getting a little more in depth about <clears throat> his affinity for my wife's aunt and then <laughs> he asked was it like details was it like creepy was it like overt or just like i love her or just be like i love her blank <laughs> yeah it just got a little creepy and then he asked if he could take his pants off. And I said, yes. <laughs> My wife said, no. I wow. Was, I was so mad. That we didn't, I, we needed to see that man's pants. But did we? 
I mean, you know, he ended up, so what happened was, is he was going down to another one of my wife's aunts when he, um, and he was breaking into her house and he was stealing her underwear. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So the gentleman was out of line in that, that would, that would, that's crossing the line, buddy. That would be like, if you came into my principal's office, you would get more than like an imaginary team. You, you'd be like definitely punished. We'd lock you in the basement for that one probably. Yeah, he was a weird dude. So I mean, good thing he's gone. That's but, good. That's good. good. I hope everyone's okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I have extended family. So my parents are from North Carolina or they okay. met in North Carolina and I went to college in North Carolina. So there's a lot of like South kind of, I am of the South, even though I was born and raised in California. And um yeah, there is a part of me that I, the, the, the country in me sees it, <laughs> even though I'm not, <laughs> I am not there. Do you go right back now. and visit sometimes? Yes, all the time. Well, I mean, I feel like I was raised there because we lived there every year for uh, extended periods of time, like summers were spent there. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, 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 I don't know how to like phrase it. Like, I feel like I'm from North Carolina. I lived there for many years. Mm-hmm. And um, that is another reason why I was really excited to take this movie and go sh- go to Wilmington and go to Winston Salem and all the places where like go back to college and show it like at the universities where like you know you go and talk as like filmmaker coming back to like the Victory Lap and then you get to see like your family come and see it in a movie theater. But um, this is great. <laughs> I mean, I would I would say this on on the positive side, and I, th- I think that the beneficial side, especially is. As, as emotionally powerful as, as this movie is. I mean, I, I believe it's going to catch fire and I also think it'll be, um, it's not a flash, right? It's, it's going to be real. Uh, it's going to be contagious and it's going to push through because people are going to challenge people to watch this and they, and they should. And with podcasts and with, uh, you know, non-terrestrial media that, uh, that moves through the internet a little bit faster, uh, I don't think the instant gratification of face-to-face watching people uh, watch this will be, but, you know, uh, I think if, you know, your people do it correctly, you're going to be able to have people um, do an emotional virtual, you know, toll booth or whatever, you know, where you just get to pop your head in there and, and say how you felt after watching this, see the reactions, and I think you're going to be blown away. I mean, when I was in college, uh, Michael Keaton's My Life came out. Wow. First movie I ever watched where I cried. I mean, like, bawled my eyes out. I watched Bambi. I was like, that the meat's good. <laughs> Eat it. Eat it. You get that fish that jumped in the back, too. I'm Innocent, yeah, get that fish. Get you Can't some. Missed a little one. Oh, okay. Bumper, come on. Come on. Get it. So, uh, you know, but that was, that was, I mean, I didn't have a good relationship with any of my dads. My mom got married a lot and, uh, I didn't have any, any of them were good. My real dad, Rocky and every one of them, my, my first stepdad, a little bit of a booze hound, you know, next one's in Mensa. It's just nightmares. And, um, was the Mensa worse than the booze hound or just equal in different ways? Well, yeah, way different. I mean, it sounds hard. It sounds really hard. Super nice guy, actually. Uh, it was hard in the fact that um, it was hard in a different way, but it was, it's because of who I, I think I am and uh, 
you know, it, I can I can honestly say it was never him. It was it was a hundred percent always me, but just pushing the buttons. Same with the drunk though. I mean, dude, that guy would come in. I know how to push his buttons. I mean, so yeah, like when you were saying like that, you thought that this was going to be like a therapy session. I'm really like curious. Like different people relate to this material differently. And okay. so have you been through like an experience that was similar to like saying goodbye to someone where you like were saying goodbye to them or? Um... No, I mean, I've experienced a lot of loss in my life, uh, you know, loss from real close high school friends, uh, you know, passing away, grandfather, uh, you know, nothing closer than that, but, you know, d dear and close people to me. Um, but no, this was... <clears throat> the dynamics of being personally for me from a broken home and seeing the dynamics of, of this broken family and where they come together and where they don't and i mean it is uh you know it's, it's interesting the the way that they push each other's buttons but yet they're still connected like they're, the bond isn't ever broken it's strained and tested um do you have siblings uh haves and steps mm -hmm that I all just call brothers and sisters from no matter what, uh, what, what dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that they're like the age, like when you see, like it's so easy to judge someone when you're dealing with them day to day, like in a, in a personal relationship. But then when you have mm -hmm. to put it in the greater context where you're like, oh, so, you know, my mom, like, is, like, really rude and mean. Like, my, my personal, you know, like, just, like, they all just, like, use my mom as an example. Like, you know, she's complicated. She's really uh, harsh, like, harsh Southern spark plug. Like, not, 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 like, a soft, nurturing archetype of mother by any stretch of the imagination. Like, perhaps the opposite. And it's really easy to react to that where it's like, why can't you fucking be a mom? Like I needed love. I needed someone to like be my mom. And then when you look at them and you couch them in the context of what their childhood was like, or what their parents were like, or like, did this person receive love? Did they even know how to, you know, then you get like a level of empathy. And I think that that goes for siblings too, where it's easy to be like, why are you being so blah? And then you're like, oh, you dealt with some shit so that I didn't have to, and you took it and you protected me and you gave me the life that I have with your love and you're like, just getting, just being there. And, and that's a beautiful thing. It is. It's a, it's a very beautiful thing. Uh, and tragic. Yeah. <laughs> Sadly, very tragic. But um, I mean, the reality is, is that, I mean, it's hard to find a great story that doesn't have a great tragedy. Yeah. You know? And I think like a lot of what we were doing this, like we weren't doing it because we, we didn't want to make like a tragedy. We were, we were like, nothing is so bad that you can't spontaneously burst into laughter while you're dealing with it. And also nothing is so good that you can't forget that we're completely fucked. <laughs> and, like, that kind of encompasses the whole thing where it's like you go home to like because you're stuck or like for right now like right we're all stuck in our fucking houses because the world is shut down because there is a horrible disease and potentially millions of people will die and like we're like but I got my new standing desk set up so you know that's good I'm able to do the zoom call you know 
like Ralph's did the delivery and millions of people will die. But, you know, I mean, we got through the homework packet and like, and then at a certain point your brain can't really process it. So you go insane and there is some sort of like cathartic, like explosion, be it screaming at your spouse or <laughs> perhaps your child or perhaps a stranger on Facebook, but in whatever way it comes out and at some point you have to just laugh at yourself. You have to laugh at the situation. You have to laugh at your own insanity. You have to laugh at your husband. Like I got in a fight with my husband last Sunday on Easter about uh, doing karaoke to Jesus Christ Superstar. And it was like real. It was a, it was a battle. And I was like, you want to kill me and my dreams and you want me to, like, you are, you are the problem. Like, <laughs> you want me to die. <laughs> <laughs> and then afterwards, we got through it. Like, but I feel like when you're in isolation and you're stuck with people who you love, even if you're super aligned politically or spiritually or whatever, like, you still get in these, like, kerfluffles and you have these flare-ups and that's one thing that I think that this story speaks to is like the flare-ups of being trapped in a house with your family who you super love and you super disagree with on some stuff. But, um, and the way that we have like humor is our ultimate like uh, weapon against despair. And so like, I, I felt like this was like a healing thing for everyone. Like everyone in our family had like experienced a really big loss and we all had the shared experience that was like, we would come home and all of us share the same funny memory from something that was supposed to be uniformly sad. And we laughed so much making this movie and people laugh so much. Like when you watch it, like in a festival setting, like it plays like it's a comedy, even though it's uh, dealing with really big subjects that ultimately the goal was for it to be like uplifting and like be a safe space to like witness your shit like reflected back to you and your weird boomer parent and your fucking uptight gen x person and then the fucking millennial who's like on their phone all the time and then like gen y like we there there, there may be or may not be a whisper of gen y in this but like the i don't know that ultimately we are in it together and it is about the love and like about the support and the connection that comes through like giving someone what they need when they're going through a hard time and yeah, yeah, can't escape I mean, it <laughs> No, you're right, and it's. Uh, don't get me wrong. I mean, I there's places where I laughed. It is just so. It's so well done. The acting is so on point. The. It brings you in. I mean, you. You're on a roller coaster, right? That's the you know the as far as the emotional side, like the thriller part. It's just you're you keep getting brought in. You know what's going to happen, and you're still investing. I mean, this, you know, in a positive way of, of emotion, right? This movie, uh, it's like, say, it's going, I, um, I know exactly where this boat's going. I know exactly what's going to happen. I'm still buying the ticket because you, the laughter brings surprises that you thought you knew exactly what's going to happen and it didn't, right? And then, there's a couple twists and turns that you're like, no, I already know where this is going. I know where this is going. And then it's like, shit. I laughed when I didn't think I was gonna laugh. And shit, this is the end? 
Nope. No. Fuck you. No. And I'm, but you're so invested. It's amazing. I mean, it really is. That's like, you know, it's, yeah. I mean, folks, really, you have to see it. No, you just kind of have to just see it. It's really surprising to me because, you know, like the room that you watch the movie in can kind of influence the what your takeaway of the, the story is. So I've never heard anyone talk about it like as an emotional roller coaster or even like joke or riff off of the, the idea of it being a thriller. Um, and so I've like it, it excites me to hear that like you had like that visceral experience watching it because you never know when you make something. You never know. Well, I think it's also <laughs> look how also the the um, the other the other people in the movie maybe and how uh, the the things that um, uh, the the lady uh, the young lady with the uh, the red hair she could not hang up the Zoom call. Brita, yeah, that's Brita. The actress's name is Brita Wolm, and she's amazing. She, she was on what I remember most from Mr. Mercedes. She was, yeah, she was one of the leads in Mr. Mercedes. She was in Unreal, which was a lifetime amazing show of like a co social commentary about reality television. And um, she was also on Glow. Oh, Glow really? on Netflix. Yeah. What's all about? I haven't. Yeah. She's, I mean, I guess what, you know, did you write with her in mind? I mean, everyone, though, seems like they hit their mark on such a, unique level but she when you think about those i'm sorry i sometimes i see actors and playing like kind of a theme mm -hmm, mm -hmm. don't with her and this is another point of where you don't with her like if whatever you've seen her in before trust me you're not seeing that same person do you write with that actress in mind knowing that she's going to play that part or how does that come about that energy or that perfect synergy um this story was something that um, I came up with and I, I was going through my office and I, I came up with the kind of premise and idea in 20, 2015 mm -hmm. um, and I kind of wrote everything down and um, but we didn't make it until 2018 and it really happened when I was having a New Year's Day uh, Black Eyed Peas like day drinking thing on New Year's Day and Brita was at my house and Sam was around and I saw Milana shortly thereafter and Brita was just like, I am booked on Mr. Mercedes and I have to go film on February 1st, but I can't audition for anything for pilot season. So if you want to shoot something in January, let's go. Like we can do a podcast, we can do a blah. And I was like, how about a feature? Blah, 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 blah. And this is what happens. Blah, 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 blah. And like, like, I think I started with podcast. <laughs> yeah. She was like, uh, and like, I kind of had to, I mean, I didn't have to talk her into it too much, but I mean, I definitely had to show that I knew it. I, I had a plan. And the same thing happened with everyone. And it was so weird. It definitely felt like one of those accidental hippie woo woo, like crystally bullshit things where like things so just happened. Everyone your friend? Everyone. They were all my friends, except for Melanie Hutzel I had met once. And that was the scariest ask. So Melanie Hutzel plays the mom, the boomer mom, Joy Pride. Mm -hmm. And she was on SNL in the 90s. And I remembered watching her because she made the Delta, 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 can I help you, help you, help you sketch. And I believe she may have written it. And 
was like a childhood hero of mine. And my dad, like my parent, everyone, we loved her. And I saw her in a show that my friend Drew Drogi um, was in. And it was the first time I'd gone out after having my son. And I um, got hammered off of margaritas and was lactating and had to like express in a bathroom, which is a disgusting <laughs> thing. I'm not going to get into the details of, but I sidled you, up yeah, to her. Did you have the uh, alcohol strips as well? The next no. day so you could test them? No, I just didn't. I just was just like, we're not even going to go there. But I sidled up to the bar and was just like, I just lactated over my shirt. Like I was like, I, I, I introduced myself. I pretended not to know who she was at Casita del Campos and like mentioned that I like was lactating. And she happened to remember that when I hit her up the next year, I asked Drew Drogi to set up like a, a, a date for us where I pitched her on the story and then she came back to like, we met at a coffee shop and then she came to my office where I showed her the big board and the story. And I just caught her at the, at the right time and the right place. And she was like, also, I don't remember what, like she was going out for auditions, but she had, we used her time really clearly and carefully. So she was only on for like five days of wow. the shoot. And she just knocked it out and, and we just got together and, um, I had the character, I had the characters and their relationships really clearly mapped out. And then I think, I don't know how much of it was just based on height, but I like, I just got each one to do it. Like, I don't, I just, it felt like, it's almost like I blacked out in the moment. Like, I can't remember the moment that I asked each one to do it because it was so scary to do because they were all the best actors that I knew. And so I was Amazing. actively like reaching out of my like comfort zone or my worthiness zone where I was like, I know that Milan is an amazing actor and I know Dave Gentoli, he's like a huge TV star and Brita is one of the best actors I've ever met and Melanie is like a childhood hero. So it was really scary um, putting the project together 100%. But everyone, every single person said yes. And then my amazing producers, uh, Eva Kim and Tammy Sanchez, they said yes too. And the DP, like Mina Singh, who's incredible. She shot Netflix shows and WB movies. And they just, everyone said yes. So it felt like this crazy, uh, I call it a manic episode that went viral. Um, <laughs> it was just like the slots were really obvious to me. And each person, um, like Greta comes from a family of a lot of kids. Like she has a big sister. I think she's the little sister of her family. So she just instantly got it. She was like, oh, I get this. And her, her, like, she just comes from a family with a lot of big siblings in it. So she understands the family dynamics. And she's like, everyone brought like super personal detailed shit to the table. So the movie was mostly improvised. Wow. So we just worked out, like I was really clear and deliberate on the characters and people would say, look, I, from my experience, this is how like a religious person who is struggling with like drug, like whatever, whatever specific thing, mm -hmm. um, they would come and talk about it and they wrote it in, they wrote it in. And I was like, if you can defend it and, and if you're uh, thinking about it enough to like make a case for it you've clearly thought about it more than I have at this point. And like, for sure, like put it in. And then when we shot, I was like, what we're going to do is I have a big board where we're going to, I'm an editor, so I know how to edit and like was really clear in what I needed to get the coverage um, in order to make the movie work and make each scene work. So I was like, you're going to start out A, you're going to end at C. Whatever you need to do to make your B like get you there, go nuts. And so a lot of the the film, though the the skeleton of it was written 
by me like in 2015 all the details the dialogue all of that shit um came together with the actors and their very 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 personal experience and their ideas and their thoughts and their reflections on it it was all them and so the performances are really just them being fucking amazing and then um riffing and then at the end at the end of each uh shot like a shot series like any scene that we shot like by by like the fifth take I would always like do a minimum of five takes light permitting and then I kind of knew what I needed to be like okay this is the shape of the scene like when you shoot an improv scene at least on my set the first take is really wonky but then it turns into its own scene as though it were carefully uh scripted and we're really clear on what it is and then you're just writing in your edit does that make sense? Like mm -hmm. writing in the edit means like you put, you, you write it based on their improvs, like in the room. It's more like documentary filmmaking in some ways, except you sure. know what the story is before you start. Yeah, you know the direction it's going, but uh, you know. Like it doesn't matter if they say like, I want you to go like kill invisible child Sid in the basement or like, Sid, I'm very disappointed in what you do because we all know at the end that the invisible child Sid is going to be free <laughs> yes, yes, from the principal's office. Right? He's getting an A, he's gonna get sent home probably. Maybe he's gonna have to think about some things. Or forgiven. No, I mean, we know that Sid is gonna be forgiven, right? Yeah. And it doesn't really matter what you say to forgive Sid. Yep. And so I don't really care that much. I'm not precious about words. And I think that actors never get heard. They always get, tr I mean, they frequently get treated like dumb, dumbasses. And people are like, oh, you're being so difficult because you are investing your soul and your life and your thought way more into this character that I wrote than like I did. Um, and so they deserve like, I, I mean, I think that like the loyalty and talent and like the magic comes from just giving actors the chance to really contribute exactly what it is they want to. And then at the end of the day, you're the one that's editing it. So you can just cut out everything that you don't like and only do what you want. And like, you know, but they like co-wrote it, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, there was, I, I found it, it was uh, what your essential, you know, family or family uh, brought was, uh, was amazing. It, I mean, it really was. Um, it, it felt like you guys, you know, me not knowing, it felt like you guys knew each other. But yeah. it also, mom really felt like she'd been manipulating you guys for a very long time. I mean, it was, that's, it's the crazy thing. It is just, it just draws you in. And, it, you know, just like any other family, it builds people up and breaks your heart and, turns you inside and out and makes you feel re reflective. I mean, I, I got done watching this and I was sitting down and I was like, someone asked me some crazy question. Um, and it was, uh, it, was, it was on an article about uh, people who are saying they're bored and how they should go fuck themselves. Yes, thank you. And, and, I, and this is all I said. Now, see, now we're, we're coming. So I wrote below it. I said, I understand, but I think sometimes in a limited scope of understanding oneself, 
we say bored when we're depressed mm. because we don't want to deal with who we are or what we are or where we're at or what's going on. And I think that what's happening right now in this pandemic is might be a point where someone is complaining of saying that they are bored when in reality they are depressed and they just think they need some sort of attention. And that through this, hopefully we will all be a little more patient and understanding that the weight of depression can't be talked about because it's stigmatized where the idea of bored can be talked about and you'll still get hired. And <laughs> I was like, I feel pretty profound. And yeah. I, I mean, literally just got done watching your film. I'm like, this, I got inspired. This person comes up with it. I like, mean, fuck it's no, I shared the shit out of this article. Bored people can kiss my ass. <laughs> I was like, well, you have a good day, sir. A I mean, good day. There is a good day, sir. There is a moment, though, with this whole thing where we're forced to just deal with it. And I feel like that is kind of what the movie is, where we're just like, you have to like be in your fucking pain and be in your rage and just fucking like jerk off on the internet. So, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I haven't been able to jerk off at all. But um, I am getting a text that there are some cats going to the vet right now. So, that's oh my goodness. Exciting. Um, I have become a cat witch. Um, that's what this quarantine, there is never a dull moment in my home because I am like a confirmed insane cat lady at this point. We went from having a foster kitten mm -hmm. and like a, like to, a, to a foster kitten with a cell phone. Hey, you guys. Um, <laughs> no, we have five Sorry. cats, five cats right now. Very suddenly overnight, five cat house. <laughs> so. And my husband is like, what? <laughs> Whoa, one in, one out was my deal when I married you. And I was like, look it. You know I had a seven cat minimum when I was a kid growing up. That was the one weird thing about my militaristic parent. It was like, hey, do you remember Best in Show? Oh, yeah. The Christopher Guest movie? Oh, come on. Great film. So, like, imagine Parker Posey, like her character, that couple, the J. Crew couple mm -hmm. with Grace the really uptight, high-strung one, but imagine them as, like, 70-year-old boomers. Like, that was my upbringing. Like, I was wow. the dog, Bumblebee, getting screamed at all the time. Um, <laughs> but they really liked cats, so we had a fuck ton of cats. And, like, now I feel like history is repeating itself, but I will say it's not completely my fault. Like, one, I was fostering a rescue, and then one just gave birth in my laundry, like, gave birth in my laundry room, and, and then there were three, so... Um, anyways, that was my little cat. I, I, I blame the, uh, the white cat, like wine glass charm that I keep on the base of my wedding, uh, champagne vessel that I got 10 years ago mm -hmm. that I like accidentally manifested three white cats that they're all pure white. Um, wow. that I summoned them with witchcraft into my, I'm not actually into magic, but I mean, I'm down with magic, but you know, I'm not an actual <laughs> witch, <laughs> not, not practicing. I dabble. I mean, I'm more I mean, like an amateur. Yeah, I don't know. There was like, a, like those pool halls. If there was like a witch hall and they were like, you know, maybe just doing some tricks, come hang out, dabble. I think I would, no, I would just be like a civilian walking past the witch hall and being like, wow. And then I would probably keep walking. And then my powers would like summon cats. Like, I think it would be more like if I were a witch, it would be like Harry Potter the first time he did magic when he was at the zoo and he was like, 
fuck Dudley. And then all of a sudden the glass disappeared and like a snake ate Dudley or like in, in her, you know what he did. The, he, the snake knows what he did. He scared Dudley. Scared. I'm like a rage witch, accidental rage witch or a fear witch. I'm very afraid of uh, deadlines. Afraid of deadlines? Yeah. Deadlines that you create? Um, any deadline, anything time-based, uh, I turn into a, a crazy witch. Like, I'm afraid of, um, like, we have to turn the poster in, and the deadline is January 22nd, so I'm just going to burn down the house and fuck everyone until I get the poster, because I have to send it. I think it comes from having, like, military parents, where, like, time matters. Mm -hmm. Like, at, oh, 500 hours, the ship is fucking leaving. And so I go into a panic before any deadline in order to meet the deadline. I will meet are the you, deadline. Are you at time matters with your kids then? Am I a time witch with my kids? Wait, yeah, manager? Time matters. You know, you're like, hey, you guys, seriously, uh, 7.55, we're in the fucking cars. Uh, if you don't- Yes. Yeah. Yes. Boom. And I'm a monster. Like, my family doesn't understand it. They're like, why is mom going insane? We're just going to school. And I was like, we're going to school and we're going to school on fucking time. <laughs> Bam. We will be, if it's not two months, two minutes early, you're fucking late. hundred percent. Could not Nary a tardy slip. There was one tardy slip and it was a fucking dark day. <laughs> one. Uh, well, no, no tardies yet. Uh, but my daughter does get in trouble for her mouth quite a bit. For talking? Eh, saying words. I told, I told my daughter for the longest time. Oh, were you like, the fucking dogs won't start barking, the teacher yeah. told. Yeah. yeah, and you're like, well, Well, yeah. because I said, I told, I told my daughter, I said, the, the only word you're never allowed to say is can't. Oh. I don't, I'm not putting you in a box. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and you're not doing it either. You're not, you're not starting your life with, I can't do this. No, no, no. There we're like books. that too. No, we're, yeah. I got books. She's like, dad, this is the word I'm not allowed to read or say. I go, skip it. And her teacher was like, well, she was reading and she skipped a word. And I said, what word? And she said, the word she's not allowed to say. And I said, oh, good. I, I taught her that. And the teacher's like, well, I need to know that she knows how to say it. I said, trust me, she does. And she gets in trouble when she says it. <laughs> and the teacher's just like, my daughter's like, I mean. I mean, you talk to him, talk to the guy. You talk to him, talk to him. But if I said shit, he wouldn't care. And he would defend my right. If I said, fuck he would let you know the etymology of the F word that it's about cabbage farming when it's in rainy season and you take the hull and when it hits the earth, it makes the fuck sound. And the really? term was, I'm going to go fuck some cabbage because you're farming. Interesting. That yeah. just blew my mind. I've been a strong proponent, proponent of use of the word fuck for nigh on several decades and did never nary did i know that that's fucking great see there are ultimate things you can find and infinite trails you can of course run down because of the beauty of the internet yeah and i got pissed because someone was mad because <laughs> we were in the drive-thru and uh chick-fil-a i don't eat there but sometimes you got it. Like you no, I, I, honestly, I don't. I, my daughter likes it. I will get her. My daughter and my wife, I really, I don't, I don't eat there. It's, um, but I mean, I, my, my thing is this. It's more of the fast food side of things. It's not just against them. I don't eat fast food because I'm already addicted to pizza, beer, and weed. I don't, you know, I don't 
need the to... Christian chicken is kind of a yeah the Christian chicken is... well Christian chicken even it's like a hateful Christian chicken you don't want to like go out of your way there but then if it's like if there's a six-year-old who is like daddy I just got an A plus on the one thing I want to do you're like I can brainwash this child into hating the Christian chicken later but right yeah. now that's all her and her friends are like hey did you get the mini chick and then she goes dad how come you don't eat it and then mom goes dad will talk about that later and I said well, we'll get mom, there honey We'll get there. Dad has things that, uh, you know, what he disagrees with. And um, I just don't yeah, I get into the, yeah, the, yeah, there's a lot. It's a lot you know, there's, t- yeah, there's, there's always, um, as you parent, you realize, man, my parents may have shared a little too much with me. <laughs> you know, like, oh, yeah. when I was, when I was my daughter's age, I'm watching the, the uh, original series Left Behind, where, you know, they're, <laughs> like on the on the on the reels and then they, they chopped the head off because they didn't get the stamp and the vaccine from bill gates right i mean it's just it was nightmare stuff and my mom's like you gotta watch this oh no and then and then when you'd go home and your dad's sitting there and he's you know a diehard republican and he's like the nukes are coming and this is how we're gonna die son we're gonna watch this and you're watching you know the, the bombs coming yeah, it's like, you, you guys, come on. And I'm getting in trouble because my kid said shit once. I mean, that's a, I mean, I know come that on. you're, I would say that you're probably like a staunch Gen X because of the way, I don't know, you, you, you give me a Gen X vibe. Oh, would you identify as Gen X? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, you're in the Gen X pocket. You're, I mean, you're certainly not a boomer, but there's like no. a whisper of like, yeah, yeah. There's like a, like a little bit of, yeah. I think that that's a really Gen X way of viewing the world where it's like, come on guys, like the mouth sounds. We, we were raised by boomers and therefore we like had that harshness. Yeah. And, and like, it wasn't punishing, but we definitely weren't helicoptered. Right. Like our, I would say like, I think I'm a Xennial, like I'm a Gen X millennial. Like there's this weird little pocket where like of a couple years where you're like, uh, overlap. And, uh, I really feel it where I have the optimism and kind of self-righteousness of a millennial, but also the jaded, like, fuck it. I guess I'm going to have to do everything myself. And like, you don't know what pain is, motherfucker. Pain is being 17 months pregnant and editing a movie alone in your fucking sleep. Oh, wait, no, you already had a baby. Pain is actually editing an entire feature film alone with stitches in your fucking twat. Like, with a baby (laughs) at your feet that's crying that you're fucking, like, rocking with your foot that's pain motherfucker like um none of that actually happened (laughs) (laughs) um but it is like yeah no some of it may or may not have happened but like i I, yeah i i I feel like that uh generational like the pain that you experience Mm -hmm. being raised by boomers and the pain that you endure and how it makes you stronger um, oh getting through it I think it makes you also want to connect differently. Like I, my wife had a C-section, had to have it a month early because her liver was failing. We go in, all of a sudden the doctor's like, oh, things aren't right. I'm so glad we're in here. Hustle, hustle, muscle, muscle. Oh, the cords around the kid's neck. And she's yeah. going to wait. So stitches, wife knocked out drugs from the first moment that that kid was alive, she touched my finger 
when we brought her home, the bassinet was on my side of the bed. She held my finger to go to sleep. Cool idea until she moved into a crib and she's just screaming with one hand out, just crying. You're like, shit, I trained it to have a human <laughs> pacifier. Oh my Motherfucker. <laughs> See, it's a good thing it wasn't on your tit because that's what most moms do. It's awful. <laughs> but the worst part was, and I say this story all the time, my kid's going to sue me when she gets older, but I was like, I indoctrinated her with the best and worst of all the music because I could, my wife, I mean, she had You're stitches. talking like Nickelback or like? No, but it was, Led Zeppelin like, it would start that. off good. Like, Let's, we're going to listen. I'm going to feed you and we're going to listen to Muddy Waters. Okay. I'm like, okay, this is perfect. And then I'm like, you know what? Dad's a little tired. I got to stay awake. We are, we're going to start some heat in the news. <laughs> oh, you don't need to apologize for that. Let's go back in time. No, you're good. You're good. And Huey so holds up. She literally loves Huey and she loves Muddy Waters. If she takes a bath, she requests Muddy Waters on. That's badass. There's no shame in that shit. There's no, six-year-old. Uh, my dad goes, what would you like to listen to? And she's like, do you have some Muddy Waters? And my dad was like, uh, are we going to smoke cigars, drink whiskey, and gamble too? Like, what? <laughs> going on in this fucking house um my father or my my husband so electra my daughter knows a lot of queen she can she can really rock some queen and uh one of the reasons when it kind of the one of the most benevolent acts of filmmaking of all time was when um the crochets let us use a jim crochet song in this movie um there's a it's like an original track that my uh, father-in-law who the movie was based off of used to sing to my husband every night and it was called you don't mess around with Jim and it was about a pimp shiving like dealers and like gang members on, like 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 if you look up the 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 backstory of you don't mess around with Jim it's it's a very catchy tune oh wait no 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 working at the car wash blues I'm sorry working at the car wash blues is what we actually used in the movie but um my father-in-law would sing this song about a pimp called you don't mess around with jim that was like crochet super super hit every night to jonathan to bed so he's he knows it word for word and we made a conscientious decision that we were going to let him sing it to our kids and now my daughter who is seven knows every single word to you don't mess around with jim and she's got a beautiful voice no. and it's wildly inappropriate, but there's no cuss words and there's nothing like ex explicit or like overt about like the, the song material. It's, it's actually got some words of wisdom. It's like, you don't, you don't tug on Superman's cape. You don't spit into the wind. You don't pull the mask off of the old Lone Ranger and you don't mess around with Jim. Wow. Hey. People looking up the song now and be like on iTunes, can I get this? iTunes is like, Yeah, you fucking can. can but you? I mean it's it's kind of wisdom though. It's like it's like uh, you know, it's not quite stay in your lane, but it's like you know, don't start a piss and match with like a with a with a grizzly. Yeah. Stand mm -hmm. down. Occasionally you stand down. You pick your battles. Yeah. No, I I agree with that. Uh, the the soundtrack for your movie is amazing um i mean obviously you know it uh you know music has such a visceral effect on people it's it's it can charge you in so many different ways and this soundtrack is awesome it really is it's fantastic 
I felt like the whole thing, like my relationship to editing and filmmaking is very music driven. So it's so hard to go from zero to one in anything in life. If it's like starting a company or starting a fucking email, like just going from a blank page to a word is the hardest part. And when you're making a movie, just like going from an empty timeline to like a scene is so hard. You're like, which is the take I use? And the only thing that's ever gotten me through editing through my whole life is just picking a song that just like I can listen to over and over that I'm obsessed with. This song right here actually, in this part of the scene we're watching that's like a flashback there's a big reveal happening and it's the kids kind of uh, reflecting back it's like flashback slow-mo uh you know highly like nostalgic footage of them when they were little kids cross-cutting to them when they're grown-ups and the song was originally a father john misty song that i just needed to i needed a track to cut to to figure out how to zero to one something into an existence and um, we didn't end up using that song because our composer, uh, Matt Friedman, is a fucking master legend. And I mean, he's one, I mean, he's gotten like awards. He's made platinum records before for Kid Cutie, like all these like very different genres. Mm -hmm. um, but um, he's a classical pianist, but he does, he's like a electronic beats dude. And then I was like, I need like a shreddy, shreddy Jimi Hendrix psychedelic track for this moment and he just like it came out of this like tall kind of like goofy like very funny smart dude like you would never know you one would never have anticipated that like that level of like soulful Jimi Hendrix shred could have possibly come out of this dude and then at the same time I was like at this okay now we need like a like a more of a um like picking out different songs we were like this is more of like a like a orchestral like a melancholy thing. I want to put cello onto it. And he recorded a track and I play the cello. And I was like, I really like this track, but I want to um, add a layer of cello because how often do you have a free cellist? I was like, <laughs> <laughs> you got a mic. I play the cello. Like, Listen, I'm already, I'm already writing. I'm already directing. I'm going to play cello. Okay. It's it just, wasn't about, even like, no, like I mean, it was, time, just, folks. it was just like, I feel like as a, I used to be a professional cellist and like everyone wants to get a cellist in their like thing when something is sad. And I was like, this is the moment where there was a track that had a lot of space to it. And I was like, in my office, which is like in Silver Lake in a very like kind of like, uh, like hip coffee shop type part of town. But I took my kids to school and I play in the band at my kids preschool before it fucking closed. And every Friday I would have a gig at like, I'm not Jewish, but I went to the JCC. So we had like a Shabbat gig. I had a fucking standing gig every Friday morning with awesome actual rock stars. And it was the best. And it was the only thing that got me playing the cello. So I just had the cello in my office and was like, I really like this track. I want to add another level to it. Maybe something like this. And I pulled it out and it was very awkward because like cellos in offices, like it feels, it's just weird. But um, we just like slammed it in there and that like just became a voice. Like I, it feels so like, obvious but like whenever someone does something sad orchestrally the cello just makes a lot of sense and it was the most cost-effective way to just like slam it out so that's a really long way to say that Matt Friedman's a genius and the the musicians who did give us their licenses was it was like it was like a clouds parting glory moment where we didn't have a fucking shot in hell and somehow we got through so Tara Austin of Ostentatious gave us these shocking blue songs that we found. Um, our editor found the shocking blue song, which was a, 
a track from the 70s or from the 60s. So Shocking Blue did that, I'm your Venus, I'm your fire, I'm your desire. Oh, yeah. And then they also did the track that's in our opening credits. And then they also did the track that's in our closing credits. And we just got really lucky. They're like a Nordic <laughs> band that I don't know if any of the, the band members are alive, but we wanted like a rock 70s, 60s sound and that we were able to like get it together. And, and then the Milk Carton Kids, do you know that band? No. Man, you want to talk about like, they're like beautiful angelic songbirds. They're like Simon and Garfunkel with the level of Simon and Garfunkel, but, and also like a whisper of Bob Dylan, but they're also like, like the best stand-up comedians of all time. It's like, fuck you guys. And they have these like beautiful, like, like angelic falsetto harmonies that they do. And then they're perfect fucking like virtuoso guitar players. They're like, I mean, it's like, I hate them, but they're so, I mean, I love them and I love them so much and I love their music so much. And um, they gave us a song that when my father-in-law was dying, it was like, the song is called Let It Go of like, if someone hurt you many years ago, and like talking about the pain ripping through you and like a, some like something that you can just never really understand. And it's, it, it, it's just saying like, maybe it's time. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's time to just let it go. <laughs> and that was a song that I like drove around and cried to. And I can't believe that they gave it to us for this movie. I love them. That's an amazing story. It is a, uh... I mean, it shows in this uh, soundtrack in this movie and the way that it's done, you know. Um, the brother is, you know, he, he reminded me of an aspect of like, there is a level of forgiveness of it almost seems like, man, I know I messed up, but if they can't forgive me, can I forgive myself? world and you think about your family and who you're a little maybe too hard on or it just it, there's the reflection points that come with the brother and in, in, in um in the way that he uh, maneuvers and and uh, paddles down this path is uh it's it's breathtaking i mean he is really amazing i mean sam littlefield is an extraordinary actor and he is such a good friend and his performance is just otherworldly to me like it's so fun to get to edit anything sam does it's hard to edit sam it's hard to edit like melanie and brita and milana like they're all so fucking fun to watch that you can't choose the best part of it and sam just wears his heart on his sleeve and there were times when because i'm in the movie and um when we would be like doing scenes together, it sucks being in a movie with these people because they're such good actors. You're just like, okay, like, I see the wake linger. But like, like there would be times when I was acting with Sam and trying to, in my character as a like a very uh, type A and organizey like spreadsheet. Mm -hmm. um, and I would be in a scene where I'm trying to organize him into action. And he was so like, he was just so like, bitch please that like I but he was so good at it that I couldn't tell if he was acting or not I thought that he was actually annoyed by me and it was a very odd meta experience um trying to being like shit you're like 
I couldn't tell he was acting because it felt so real. And he's so vulnerable and he's so smart and he's so insightful. And I, it's just like one of the greatest gifts in the world that I'm watching him act right now and just be amazing in one of my favorite scenes. It's the, just, it's movie. such a great scene because it's just the fucking, what the fuck, fucking. Don't say it, don't say it. No, this I'm is like the go, reveal, no, there's no, a big no, no, twist. No, no. No, no, oh. this is another one of the emotional, this is an amazing part. Uh, and uh, and then that's all I'll say is an amazing part. So by the way- uh, the, But he just like well, lets it well, go. And it's just, but there's, and it brings it to, I guess, you know, um, I'll ask you a question here. What's, uh, what's one of the greatest forgivenesses you've given? greatest forgiveness I've ever given. Well, not just, I mean, that's good, but you know, like one where you're just like, man, this, um, this meant a lot for me to, to, to forgive. I mean, I would say it was when I got in a fight, a quarantine fight with my husband last week for the Jesus Christ Superstar. <laughs> <laughs> it was very generous of me to forgive very him for like what the, he did. The quick turnaround. And he knows what he did. Um, no, um, you know, when you ask that question, it's really hard for me to think of one, like a pain that, that struck so deeply that there was some, like there was, okay, so I have, um, there have been moments in my life and two specific incidences that really like shaped my personality that was like an act of uh, violence or the threat of violence from someone who was like out of it and like not uh, sober or coherent or something like that. And, and that like shaped me to the point that I was like, it, def it didn't define me. I don't, I don't think it does define me, but like, I think that the forgiveness was really instrumental mm -hmm. in um, making it not define me. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I asked the question because I don't think the acting that, all of that scene brought from his blow up and his understanding to everything that happens. You don't, you don't experience understanding un under immense stress and you don't experience forgiveness um, to a level without being able to, you know, even give a pathway for those actors to create that moment. Uh, to to know that scene and and the power of it and what it brings because of how the film built up to it, um, it shows so much about the uh, the personal touch in a in a very positive way that you had on the film. You know the question that you said about what is the most you know like the biggest act of forgiveness that you've done. What's, what, what came up for me first when you said that was um, the moments where I've been forgiven were more, vastly more defining moments of my life where I did something to another person that I wasn't thinking or I wasn't like just <laughs> like capable of human empathy to that level or I was selfish or I was just a shithead and then um, recognized it and was faced with the consequence of losing this person in my life and then had pretty much surrendered it and then them forgive me 
to the point that I thought perhaps it was an unsavable situation and then experiencing that forgiveness being given to me, that was, that's, that's been the thing that shaped me. I think the most of like the kindness of other people that have said, that have accepted me with my flaws that has taught me by um, demonstration how to do that to other people and in, in increase my capacity for empathy moving forward. And I think that those are like the biggest uh, moments of like, I don't know, peace where you're just like, holy shit. Like I didn't even know that that was possible. And that taught me um, how to be a better person moving forward in the world. And I, I was able to integrate it and then do it. And I didn't, I wasn't raised with like that level of emotional intelligence that was not a part of the day to day. I was like, I, I, I think like there was like, I don't know if there was a level of emotional unintelligence in the way that I was raised mm-hmm. uh, that it took a lot. It took a lot to get to the point of like forgiving someone as opposed to just being like, fuck them, nuke them, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, it's a, uh, <clears throat> it is an easy thing uh, to just kind of, not just light the bridge on fire, but then, you know, throw the bomb behind it and, and torch the path as well. And like, I'm blaze my own path. Forget that. And uh, yeah. the hard thing to own it. And then, uh, and then also accept the forgiveness. I mean, it really is. The allowing of forgiveness is a really like nuanced, detailed, very complicated thing where it's like, you're letting someone forgive you. And then in that moment, you're forgiving yourself. Mm-hmm. And are you capable of receiving that forgiveness? Like, I, like people fuck a lot of stuff up, you know, in, in those moments of like being forgiven. Like, oh, you forgive me. You know, there's a lot of ways it can go. And I think like, I don't know, there's parts of this story that shine through, like as the result of those experiences that I had in my life. And that, you know, giving someone what they need, regardless of what they've done, can be like the most empathetic thing even if it may not be the most by the book (laughs) yeah yeah and i would say uh you know um and the idea and uh the the process that you brought out that you know each actor drove home of that real beautiful thing of they were vulnerable, but they weren't too vulnerable. It, it wasn't like at the end of the movie, all the walls came down at, you know, at Jericho and everyone just hugged and they're like, so next week we're going to meet at the park. And we're going to all bake a cake. And, and then at the front, it's like, I'm going to take your drugs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on Tinder. Get out of here. <laughs> It was, it, it, you know, it's, it's amazing the, uh, the emotive juice that, that jumps out of this where this movie is very real about the, the struggles of creating forgiveness, but also we don't have to see each other then again every second of every day. We're good, but I got to go home. It's interesting. Yeah. And it doesn't make you feel guilty about that. Yeah. 
Some of us were not meant to be in a house altogether. There are so many people right now in the world that are going home to their parents where they have no business living with. It's like having a roommate with like a huge chasm of political, ideological, spiritual, generational beliefs or just a huge gap right now is happening in the world, but people need to do it for whatever reason. And it is so prescient in like everyone on the internet. You can just feel it where you're just like, I had to leave New York City or leave whatever metropolitan area because my college was shut down and I had to go fucking home when I'm not, I'm at an age where I shouldn't, I should no longer be living with my parents. However, here we are and we don't get to have an easy out. It's, it's, it's really weird and it's really painful and you have to just like, I, I feel really lucky that I have a four-year-old and a seven-year-old right now. So they, we're just calling it super summer vacation. Like they're, they're going to remember this probably as the best time of their lives, but someone who's in high school or someone who's in middle school or someone who's in college that they're like, like a high schooler, it is the most important thing to be with your friends all the time. Like your friends are the most yeah. important. A college student, someone in their twenties, someone in their thirties, like, like if you have kids, like, I mean, the depth of what is going on in the world that a person could be trapped in right now is like so <laughs> overarchingly like terrifying it's, that, it's overwhelming like, to it's overwhelming to process i mean there are great organizations for people to like get support in but they need a lot more like help getting visibility it is uh it's it's, it's you know there, there's two things that you know this um the the response that is uh with lack of a cure uh, you know for the virus that 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 concerned me uh, one is the communication aspect and, and understanding and, you know, to college is a prime example. The beautiful thing about colleges is that there's scholarships and there's all these things. So these people from these different states, and these different cities, you live with them. You have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You're on maybe on a sports team, a debate team. You might just live on the you same. You learn course. about grits. I mean, for me, it was all about grits. College. You learn about a lot of stuff. <laughs> you, meet, you, you hear different ideologies and it is this what is called the common marketplace of ideas. And left or right leaning is inconsequential to the fact that you are at least encountering different things that you would not if you were at home or if you learned from a computer. Yeah. Especially when you talk to terrifying people like I do, like Dr. Manya Kurzweil, who is telling me, who is the foremost thought leader on AI and knowledge graphs, is telling me how the social media groups are pushing your mind from A to Z and he's writing a paper on the algorithms and why they're an invasion of privacy based on how they read your facial expressions when you read a tweet. Wow. Terrifying. You know, it's like, what the hell? Where's the human connection part? You know, it's, that's, that's the scary thing, because you go down these rabbit holes where we're connected, but we're not, right? We, but I, you can go and see your friends. Like consequence-free connection. Yeah, there's, there's just not, it's so, once again, I understand why we're doing what we're doing, but a life like this is the terrifying part because we remove such an intimate part of, of who we are as people, of just, you know, walking by the politeness, the hellos, the interaction. Um, that's, that's, it's, it's, it really is 
scary. I mean, they, you know, they've done studies on babies born that weren't touched and how they're different and how they Oh, yeah, away. like neural networks, yeah. Yeah, and you wonder what happens to us when we don't have that. You know, it is, um, I mean, that's why, you know, you want the best scientists in the world to figure it out. You want to, you want to be stuck in a house for a little bit, but you, you want to get out as well. You know, it's, um, yeah. it's interesting. But uh, I think the, uh, you know, the, the greater good or the bigger part is, um, you know, we'll figure it out. Uh, you know, if anything, uh, history has taught us that um, if we aren't the smartest all the time, we are very, very resilient. <laughs> and we do yeah. learn from our mistakes. I mean, sometimes I'm pretty sure we're going to just repeat 1918, but you know, <laughs> we're not like on track. We're not, we're not, we're not, you know, maybe Germany's doing, maybe Germany. Will. Um, but yeah, resilience. I do, I do believe in that. And I am excited about like, you know, for, for those of us that are able to like have a, have a pause and like go to the mountaintop, like it is, it is a, refreshing opportunity i mean i think it's hard to say that to like any parent or like anyone who's in like a like a unsafe environment but there are a lot of people who are in safe environments and like the biggest problem is their own mind and mentality and so i mean it's it's been incredible living in la and hearing that like we have the best air we so have the best air right now like <laughs> <laughs> we really do we have someone said that the air was the best like in the country in los angeles and it's like wait it took like a month it took yeah. four weeks to to, yeah, to well, i think you got four more right i mean yeah i mean i've i mean I've, I've read enough stuff about italy being like well and then you know it starts with singing on the balconies and then well you'll see so i you know you got to just like take it, take it, take it as it comes, as they say, and like moment to moment. But the moment to moment thing is what I think that a lot of us have been missing, right? Yeah. Yeah, you know, and it's, um, but I will say this, you know, in, 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 uh, in a uh, gross contradiction, your movie captures a moment between husband and wife that has a connection as if, they are sharing their first moment at the opening scene when they're together. So maybe there is hope, no matter what happens. <laughs> I mean, can I time that? I think you nailed it. You've, uh, the uh, the the. I have to say, like anything that I do is so um, abstractly personal that it all comes from a, a really real. Uh, visceral experience that I had but the circumstances the characters the situation is all changed but the like intention and the fucking pain is very raw and very authentic or like I don't know authentic I don't think we can say authentic anymore because I think it's just inauthentic but um it is very personal and I don't know I mean I just like for every single person that I worked with on the movie there is always a moment where there is a phone scream fight <laughs> in every relationship when when we get to like peak intensity like whether you're in house lockdown i mean kind of making this movie was like being in house lockdown because we were locked down in milana's house 
um, while we filmed it because I don't, we haven't talked about Milana at all, who is a hero and a treasure and a goddamn national, like, just <laughs> Let's talk piece, about piece of, piece of magic. I mean, Milana's always been one of my hugest um, inspiration. She's such a good supportive friend and she's, it's fucked up because she's so talented and she's so fucking funny. And you're like, oh, you can do that if you're just like super pretty. But also she wrote everything that she's in and also she edited and directed like the best shit that she's ever put out is so much more than um, like her being in the right place at the right time. It's so internally generated, like her AT&T campaign, like all of the stuff that she did was born of um, her bringing everything that she had to the opportunity and then um, making the most of it and also she's super talented and she also happens to be like very charismatic and funny but the her drive and her talent and her insight and her judgment she's such a great editor she's a great director and she is just one of the funniest people I've ever met um she was kind of the one I was most afraid of asking she was among the, I was really equally afraid of everyone, but Milana was one that I was the most threatened and intimidated by. Cause I was like, she's an editor. She's a director. Like she's going to see my flaws like quick to the bone. And it's, it's almost like playing music in front of like a classically trained musician where you're like, they're going to hear, they're going to know. And that's like often how I feel. Um, but it's also like so worth the risk because it's like if you have like someone who's like Mozart that's on your team, then they can provide like support and feedback and like give a little bit of their Mozart self to you and like hopefully make you better. So that was a fucking major gift and I'm so excited for her and what she's got coming out now. Her Comedy Central shorts are fucking hilarious. She wrote them all. It was all her and they're brilliant. And I recommend anyone to watch the um, sketch show that she and Akilah have created. She's a genius. She is a, you know, yeah, she's an absolute genius. Uh, very, very funny as well. Um, yeah, no, that is high praise and uh, high praise deserved, obviously, uh, for um, what she can do. And uh, yeah, it's a, uh, there's some bonding moments that, uh, that she has where you are really drawn into why she is exactly who she is. Like just, it, fits like a glove. I mean, it is perfect. I mean, her dramatic depth is not something that's been so deeply plumbed in like her career so far, because she has a very sketch. Um, she's very funny. Comedic, yeah, she's like a comedy genius. She's a stand-up comedian. She's an improv comedian. She's a really smart sketch writer and director and actor. And, and fuck her, because she can cry <laughs> on a dime. Like, she can whip a dramatic moment. She can burst out into tears. And it's, like, so raw and so real that it's, I mean, it's a gift to be able to edit and to, like, look at her footage. She's so funny. She can always land a moment. She can build tension. I love Milana. Look at Brita being so beautiful. I love her so much right here. Melanie. We're not going to say what's happening to Melanie right now, but it's really... It's beautiful. Painful. It's very beautiful it's and very dark. Beautiful. Uh, it's you know it's um everything that happens. It's uh, it's amazing. Is there uh has there ever been a time in your life uh, when you've uh, cheated death? Yeah, I've had a few. <laughs> I had like one. At, I had one at Sundance. 
I will say I had one at Sundance. I mean, it wasn't like, I, I cheated death once in seventh grade. And that was a core moment. And what I learned in that moment was to fight. I learned that you should fight. And you should fight for your life, no matter what. Um, I had one, I had one with, when, when you're climbing a mountain and you feel like you're falling, do whatever it takes to scramble up the hill because it could be the difference between life and death. And I was in wow. college. And uh, I had one at Sundance that was like, if you don't feel safe, you need to get the fuck out. I did, I did feel like it overcompensated. Like the altitude and the red wine compensation that happened after that, I feel like I feel like I could have, I, th I think, I think the, the third takeaway would, would be drink, drink, drink about 100% more water than you think you probably need to. <laughs> <laughs> when recovering from the moment. <laughs> I like, I had a very like, one of those like, I can't believe this is actually happening. And so I'm gonna get out of here. There were enough people there that like, we were okay, but it was still very scary. But the real problem was when I drank too much the night after. Or my friend very generously was like, you were overserved. And I was like, yeah, pound water. That's what I took away is always, always drink your water. <laughs> if you're listening to this right now, go drink a glass of water right now. Yeah, have, have a glass of water or two. This, uh, you know, the... Have two. Do you know what? While two. we're at it, have two. Have, have two. two. Plus the allergy medicine, you know, it's... Uh, the you know, you do three. Medicine. Just two, three. You're good. You're good. You're good. You're good. You're good. Get it done, and then you know, uh, just uh, take your time, take a nice little deep breath, and uh, you do four, and you're, you'll be fine. You know, four through the door. I will say, you know, who we didn't talk about were two of my like. I there was a part. There were two parts that I imagined almost like Oprah or Dolly Parton, like a sensationally zen, uh, like wizard figure, like a spirit guide. Uh, character that would guide these people who are bumping through their like pinball machine chaos of mm -hmm. being in isolation with their family and really struggling and that is uh, Nurse Cool and the probation officer Sanchez and it was wild to me that both of these men existed and that they really are that incredible that the human experience of being around Cool Benson and the, and the real experience of being around Luis Sosa, who played both of those roles, is exactly what you see in the film. And those were other magic moments where it was like, you couldn't have, like there was so little, there was acting because they're fucking professionals and they're amazing, but the, the spirit vibe grounding like, grokking you into like your earth nature healing Dalai Lama voice like it was like how often do you have two Dalai Lamas in your life that give it to people who may or may not actually deserve it but nevertheless like see them through I just want to say I love those guys and I think that I was just it was just a, a, a joy to be on set with them the uh the probation officer um he was great. The, uh, the, the mental gymnastics that you go through when he's on the phone is just it's really intense. And he pulls it off extremely well uh, for what seems like, you know, just like, are you by yourself right now? I mean, it just, it, it really, 
it is so amazing that he's just like in this moment and nothing else matters when he's on the phone and it's epic. I mean, it really is. And cool was awesome. He, he was everything that the name is and uh, everything that you want from, uh, from any nurse. <laughs> I mean, it, he really just had this beautiful sensibility at the same time, uh, compassion and directness of don't fuck this up. Yeah, it was a lot of straight talk. It was a lot of straight talk from a source that was like the source. And like, yeah, that's like another part that was so fun to get to make this movie is like when you get to like have some source shit come through. Like we were so supported by the nurses and the people that that got us through an experience, like whether or not we deserved it, like they gave us the guidance. And I would like to shout out to the nurses and like all the people right now who are in the fucking like frontline situation that is like, they don't want to be there. (laughs) And like, may the force be with us all, right? Absolutely. It is a, uh, they're an essential part that, um, that we have to have. And unfortunately, uh, yeah, the uh, the effort that they're putting forth is is immense and overwhelming. That's for sure. Um, you know, uh, one, um, thank you so much for the time uh, tonight and for you know kind of talking over your movie and hitting some points that I hope uh, will interest people. I cannot say it again how great this movie is. Um, loved every minute of it. You know, it was uh, you did an absolutely amazing job. So. Um, Tell everyone again, it's Mother's Little Helpers. It comes out May 5th, on demand everywhere, iTunes, Amazon, and beyond. Perfect, perfect. Well, thank you so much. Um, As I've been telling people a lot lately, because it means so much to me, uh, we'll make money, we'll lose money, you know, we'll see the bananas, they'll go bad and we'll go get new ones. But uh, time is the one thing that we just, we never get back. So, to spend this time with me meant a lot. I greatly appreciate it. And um, I hope you have a wonderful evening and absolute all the success in the world with this uh, amazing movie. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, man. It really means a lot. Have a great night. Thank you. You too. Bye.